Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Remember the insurrection on the United States Capitol building? There are a whole lot of politicians in Washington who would rather forget. Andrew Prokop has been covering the story for Vox. So shortly after the Capitol was stormed on January 6th of this year, an idea took hold about what needed to be done. And this idea was mainly pushed by moderate Republicans at first. The idea was that there needed to be a commission, a bipartisan commission established by Congress uh, to look into what went wrong and how to prevent something like it from happening again. So naturally, this bipartisan idea is now completely mired in partisan infighting. So most interestingly, this was originally proposed by moderate Republicans? Yes. So um, Representative John Katko of New York. It was not only an attack on this institution, but an attack on our law enforcement brethren who defend us every day. And Representative Rodney Davis of Illinois. This isn't just about, you know, one party or the other. We've got to we've got to bring everybody together to find out why decisions were made and frankly, why decisions weren't made leading up to the sixth. They're both Republicans. And, you know, in the days after that chaotic event happened, Republicans were really on the defensive. And not all of them ended up voting to impeach Trump, but uh, they felt pressure to support something. Like, they recognized that what happened was horrible and unacceptable and that they, they needed to explain that they're doing something. The American people and the Capitol Police deserve answers and action as soon as possible to ensure that nothing like this ever happens again. So this is when the idea of this bipartisan commission took hold. And it is explicitly and directly modeled after the 9-11 commission, which was established by Congress after the September 11, 2001 attacks and um, has this uh, sterling reputation now as uh, the gold standard of members of both parties working together to overcome partisanship and to do the right thing for the country. The real story is more complicated, but that's the myth. And that's what these moderate Republicans were nodding to. What would this commission be it modeled after the 9-11 Commission 
or otherwise look like? What was the initial proposition? In the bill that has actually been passed by the House at this point, it calls for a commission of 10 members. It'll have a 50-50 split of Democrats and Republicans with subpoena powers requiring cooperation from both sides. And they would be tasked with examining things like the preparedness and the day of response of the Capitol Police, of the rest of government. We need a dedicated bipartisan commission to look at the whole picture. But also uh, of the root causes of contributing factors of why the storming of the Capitol did take place. And that's where the controversy comes in. So if this commission was just going to be limited to did the Capitol Police do a good job or did they drop the ball, I think that's something that Republicans could get on board with. But of course, when it comes to the anything touching on the behavior of one former president, Donald J. Trump, things get a little more dicey in Republican land. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. Because when you look at the root causes or contributing factors to why these hundreds of people decided to storm the Capitol on January 6th, the reason is pretty obvious. We're going to walk down to the Capitol and we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them, because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. There are other aspects of this commission's mission that could also reflect very poorly on Trump. Specifically, it would surely dig into the federal government's decision making and any role that Trump himself had in organizing the response uh, on January 6th itself. And it could, theoretically, uh, surface some rather unflattering things. There have already been anonymously sourced reports in the press that when uh, minority leader Kevin McCarthy called Trump to ask him for help at stopping the chaos, Trump responded, quote, well, Kevin, I guess these people are more upset about the election than you are. To which McCarthy responded, who the F do you think you're talking to? Uh, CNN confirmed this exchange, Wolf, with Republican Congresswoman Jamie Herrera Butler of Washington. That's the sort of stuff that the commission could surface, could more thoroughly document, and could cause new rounds of controversy. Let's just take Kevin McCarthy here as an example. House Minority Leader for the GOP. You just mentioned the president called him and said, like, tough luck. How does he feel about this commission? Back when the second impeachment was taking place in January and February of this year, it was common for uh, members of Congress like Kevin McCarthy to voice support for, uh, for the commission as an alternative to impeachment. Most Americans want neither inaction nor retribution. They want durable, bipartisan justice. That path is still available, but is not the path we are on today. And so what happened after that was that 
McCarthy deputized a moderate Republican, uh, John Katko of New York, to negotiate with Democrats on the parameters of this commission. And Democrats actually made a lot of compromises. They gave McCarthy almost everything that Republicans had been asking for. The commission would be evenly divided between Democrats and Republicans rather than giving Democrats who have a House majority uh, the majority on the commission. The commission would not be able to issue any subpoenas without some Republicans signing on to it. That is, it couldn't be just turned into a partisan subpoena weapon by the Democratic commissioners. Um, And yet... Once these concessions were made, McCarthy decided that he would oppose such a commission anyway. You've got two committees in the Senate already doing their investigation. I believe in two weeks they'll already have the report back, even though Pelosi wasted all this time. And then you've got the Justice Department, rightfully does a much better job than we could ever do. Arrested already 445 people. I just think a Pelosi commission is a lot of politics. Yes. It's this afterlife of Trump and the big lie that continues to roil the Republican Party that resulted in Liz Cheney being purged from leadership. Uh, It is simply not acceptable uh, within mainstream Republican circles these days to do things that reflect poorly on Donald Trump. So this culminates last week in a vote in the House of Representatives for this commission The GOP minority leader essentially tries to scuttle it, but it squeaks through. It squeaks through, but it it was always going to pass because Democrats have a majority in the House and they can pass whatever they want. So the Democrats were unified behind this. What was interesting is that 35 House Republicans voted for it as well. You know, that's still the vast majority of House Republicans voted against it, but it showed that some House Republicans were feeling a bit of pressure on this issue, and they didn't think that um, continuing to close ranks and defend everything that Donald Trump did after the 2020 election would be a good look for them when they run for their own reelections next year. So it did pass, but now it's in the Senate where there is the problem of the Senate filibuster. So unlike in the House, Senate Democrats cannot pass whatever they want with just a majority. They need 60 votes to get a bill past the filibuster, and they have 50 Democrats, which means they need 10 of the 50 Senate Republicans. What are the chances of that? The chances currently look quite grim. Uh, Even moderates like Susan Collins of Maine are saying they oppose the commission in its current form. Now, that could make you think, oh, well, they're open to negotiation. They could reach some sort of deal. But other Republicans have taken a stronger line. Senator Richard Burr of North Carolina, who was a very surprising vote to convict Trump when the impeachment trial went to the Senate in February, he said that there's there's no version of this commission that he could support because he thinks it is just a political ploy by Democrats to make Republicans look bad. And uh, Mitch McConnell has basically said the same thing. It's not at all clear what new facts or additional investigation yet another commission could actually lay on top of existing efforts by law enforcement and Congress. What is clear is that House Democrats have handled this proposal in partisan bad faith, going right back to the beginning. 
McConnell's number two in the Senate, John Thune of South Dakota, gave probably the clearest confirmation that this is what's going on here. He said, anything that gets us rehashing the 2020 election, I think, is a day lost on being able to draw contrast between us and the Democrats' very radical left-wing agenda. So they want to move on. They want to focus on how the Democrats are bad. They don't want to talk about bad things that Donald Trump did. It is at once surprising and not at all surprising that there is now political gamesmanship over an investigation into an attack on the very building where all this political gamesmanship is taking place. Are Republicans feeling any pressure to work with Democrats from, I don't know, Capitol Police who were attacked on January 6th protecting the very lawmakers who are now saying there's no point in having this commission? Interestingly, the Capitol Police organization themselves is staying out of this. There was a letter circulated by certain members of the Capitol Police that uh, got some attention uh, saying that they needed a commission and they supported it and how could Republicans be blocking it. But the official organization has, has not taken a position. As to, you know, how could Republicans defend an attack on democracy? We've been pretty much seeing this play out since the 2016 election. When uh, the Russian government hacked emails belonging to Democrats and uh, arranged their leaking, and then uh, the Republican Party sort of lined up against investigations about whether Donald Trump had any role in this and, and, and whether this was an attempt to interfere with the election result. And we saw it again in the advance of the 2020 election when um, Rudy Giuliani went looking for dirt on Joe Biden in Ukraine and President Trump began pressuring the president of Ukraine to come up with some dirt on Biden. That led to Trump's first impeachment and the Republican Party closed ranks again on this effort to interfere with the 2020 election and they acquitted Trump. More with Andrew in a minute. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun, but it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. 
one app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Andrew, you mentioned in the first half of the show that this whole commission that now seems all but sure to fail was meant to be modeled on the 9-11 commission. Could you just remind us a little bit about how that commission went? So after the attacks of September 11th, 2001, obviously it was a shocking, traumatic moment for the United States, and there was a big drive to find out what exactly happened and what went wrong. What eventually Congress came up with was the 9-11 Commission. It would be 10 commissioners, five Republicans and five Democrats. A lot of them were retired politicians. So the idea was that they would be freer to fully devote themselves to a mission of seeking the facts and coming up with, you know, a shared kind of national narrative about what happened and fully answering people's lingering questions. And I remember the upshot of that was an actual report that was published and sold in bookstores all across the country, right? Maybe across the world. I remember seeing it in bookstores. I think I own it. Yes, it was a surprising bestseller, even though it was uh, offered for free on the internet. Then it was written uh, very uh, compellingly. Uh, it was it was almost like a novel, not in the traditional confusing jargon of committee reports. I do think, though, that rose-colored glasses are applied with how we remember this commission uh, as this sterling moment of bipartisanship, because 9-11 had the potential to reflect very badly on the recent presidents of both parties. Bill Clinton was in office throughout the 1990s when Osama bin Laden was putting al-Qaeda together and getting entrenched in Afghanistan. And then George W. Bush was in charge for the eight months or so before 9-11 happened. So, you know, depending on what such a commission turned up, it could have had really serious political consequences for both parties. Really what happened is that both commissioners ended up kind of making sure their own party wouldn't look that bad. I want to thank these two gentlemen for serving their country so well and so admirably. Uh, they've done a really good job of learning about our country, learning about what went wrong um, prior to September the 11th, and making very solid, sound recommendations about how to move forward. With George W. Bush's election looming, with the Clintons huge in Democratic politics and Hillary Clinton uh, rumored to be thinking about running for president, no one of these commissioners was going to agree to something that was really, really tough on either Clinton or Bush. Does that mean that the 9-11 commission was somewhat inaccurate in its final published form? 
It was definitely incomplete. And it was incomplete in part because information was withheld from them by the Bush administration. But the real success of the 9-11 Commission report was PR, basically. I'm here with the co-chairs of the 9-11 Commission. Thomas Kane, the former Republican governor from New Jersey. Lee Hamilton, former Democratic congressman from Indiana. They uh, the two lead commissioners, Tom Kane, the former governor of New Jersey, a moderate Republican, and Lee Hamilton, Democrat from Indiana, they kind of joined hands and agreed to sell the final product as a bipartisan success. The policymakers were very wary of us. They were wary because they knew we'd be looking back We'd be trying to identify mistakes. Uh, we would be looking at how well they performed in the Clinton administration and then mm -hmm. in the Bush administration the first eight months. So they would always do media appearances together. Uh, they had some gravitas. These were the wise men of the American political world, and they had managed to come to an agreement and kind of craft this shared national narrative about what happened, where the blame really fell on the intelligence agencies and uh, various uh, mishaps that happened there. And that is part of the story, but it, it's not the whole story either. Hmm. So just thinking about how that commission went in comparison to this one, there were some fears of, of blowback for the administration. There were some partisan issues. There was, you know, inaccuracies or at the very least an incomplete final version, but it still meant something. It still resulted in a greater understanding of the event. Why, 20 years later, is it an impossibility to achieve something like this? If Democrats could achieve something like the 9-11 Commission report for January 6th, I think they would be thrilled because, you know, despite its shortcomings, it did have this shared factual understanding and national narrative. And I think there are a few reasons why the same thing is not in the cards today. First of all, there's the issue of mutually assured destruction. That, that was the case for political blame for 9-11. Both parties had a big chance of looking bad in that report unless they could manage to get together and be bipartisan. When it comes to January 6th, there's really only one party that has a chance of looking bad, and it's the Republican Party. And everyone involved in this knows that. The second lesson, I think, is that um, Tom Kane and, and Lee Hamilton— uh, they really sold a bipartisan product because they wanted to sell a bipartisan product. But for the January 6th commission, the Republican commissioners would be appointed by McCarthy and McConnell, who are both opposed to the very idea of such a commission. So they are highly likely to appoint commissioners who will not want to produce a bipartisan product, who will want to defend their own party as much as possible. And there will inevitably be even more conflicts and gridlock than there was in the 9-11 Commission. Because, again, this is really an issue that hurts the Republican Party by far the most, far more than the Democratic Party. Can the Democrats just go it alone and do this themselves? They absolutely can, but they wouldn't be able to do the 9-11 Commission 
themselves when it comes to how that commission was viewed by the press and the public. So when it comes to the actual formal powers of a commission like this, there's nothing special about a bipartisan commission. They would have the same powers as any ordinary congressional committee. They can request witness testimony and documents voluntarily, or they can issue subpoenas to try to get sworn testimony and documents when people are a little more recalcitrant. Any congressional committee can do this. Uh, The House especially, uh, the Democrats have majorities on every committee, so they can do this with their votes alone. Uh, Another possibility is... um, after the Benghazi attacks of 2012. And we are coming on the air because we have just learned that the U.S. ambassador to Libya has been killed. It happened overnight. When angry militants stormed the U.S. consulate in Benghazi, Libya, they fired shots, set the building on fire. Almost a dozen Americans were inside being guarded by Libyan security. At least one other American died, most likely of smoke inhalation. House Republicans created a special select committee that was appointed just for this issue get to the bottom, supposedly, of what happened in Benghazi. But what people are looking for from this commission is the ability to shape a national narrative, to find a shared factual universe. And that's not what we got with Benghazi, to be clear, right? Yes, the Benghazi investigations by Republicans were viewed as highly partisan. So it it definitely did not succeed in creating a, a shared national narrative. It did have another success, though, which is that the Benghazi committee ended up turning up the fact that Hillary Clinton had not used a government email account and had only used her personal email for all of her work as secretary of state. When I got to work as secretary of state, I opted for convenience to use my personal email account, which was allowed by the State Department because I thought it would be easier to carry just one device for my work and for my personal emails instead of two. And that started the snowball rolling that eventually led Hillary Clinton to be put under FBI investigation and the controversy over her emails that loomed over 2016 and may have ensured Donald Trump's victory in the presidential election that year. Everybody thought Hillary Clinton was unbeatable, right? But we put together a Benghazi special committee, a select committee. What are her numbers today? Her numbers are dropping. Why? Because she's untrustable. But no one would have known any of that had happened had we not thought and That's made something that good. I give you so credit for that. So a really motivated uh, dirt digging committee can find stuff that hurts the other party. Uh, When it comes to common ground, bipartisanship, feel-good, kumbaya-type stuff, uh, I don't think that's what would come out of a committee like this. But if Democrats want to really go after the truth here with the understanding that the truth will make Republicans look bad, they can certainly vigorously pursue that if they want to. I think the fantasy that if Trump voters only had the right information, that his support would plummet, that's been disproven again and again over the past several years. But I do still think that it is valuable to find facts and uh, get to the bottom of things, you know, in and of themselves. It might not change anything, but 
For history, if uh, for nothing else, it is useful to know as much as we can about this effort to prevent the legitimate results of the 2020 presidential election from being ratified and moving forward. Madam Speaker, let me be clear. Last week's violent attack on the Capitol was undemocratic, un-American, and criminal. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. The mob was fed lies. They were provoked by the president and other powerful people. President's language and rhetoric uh, often goes too far. I think yesterday in particular, the president's language and rhetoric crossed a line and it was reckless. When it comes to accountability, the president needs to understand that his actions were the problem, not the solution. Which is why I think a fact-finding commission and a censure resolution would be prudent. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Right now, businesses are facing tough choices. Do you cut costs or drive growth? Solve for today or build for tomorrow? Do you satisfy your shareholders or satisfy your customers? The answer is yes. You don't have to choose. With the intelligent platform for digital business from ServiceNow, you can say yes to unifying your existing systems and yes to accelerating growth. Visit servicenow.com to see how we can help you put yes to work. The world works with ServiceNow.